Welcome back to another episode of Red Tinted Glasses, and I'm delighted at such short notice to be disjoined, dis God, I'll get my words out eventually, by the host of the Late Kickoff podcast, Jamie Guy. And Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Glenn. Absolute uh, pleasure. Delighted to, to make my RTG debut. Yeah, and uh, in ahead of such a big game on Thursday night as well, and we're recording this on Tuesday lunchtime, and on Tuesday morning, Aberdeen's 12th summer signing of the season was announced as Papi Habib Gay joined the club from KV Courtright, if I get that correctly. Um, quite mental that the, the rumour seems to be the fee we've paid is nearly half a million, quite a lot of money. But, Jimmy, I don't really see this as being a direct replacement for Duke. As many people might start panicking on social media, I see this as more of an addition or maybe preparation for losing one of them maybe in a six months or next summer? Yeah, I think it, I, I've read it in the same way. We're going to be playing a lot of games this week, irrespective of how Thursday um, goes. We're going to have a group stage. So, you know, that, that's six games extra between now and Christmas, a lot of Thursday, Sundays. So um, I think it's actually quite good to see that we're, we're developing a squad um, I think we need a bit of depth up front if anything happened to either Bojan or Duke, uh, God forbid, <laughs> then yeah. we might be in a bit of a, a sticky wicket. Um, we haven't seen a huge amount of Esther Sockler yet, but um, I, I, I don't think it's to replace him or, or to suggest that he isn't quite up to it or anything like that. I think we just need bodies, um, and particularly at that end of the pitch. And uh, we know Duke can play wide or through the middle mm. as well, so um, it maybe gives us a little bit more options to change things in game when it's not quite working out as well which is it's nice to see I can't tell you the last time I remember Aberdeen having four out and out strikers which is pretty exciting yeah I know I think that's actually a really good point uh, in terms of Duke's positioning he might get moved out to more of a, a winger uh, I know there's been a lot of kind of comments on his early season form um, but but looking at, at um, Pat just now um, kind of we're not going to sit here and pretend we know the ins and outs of his ability. Um, a quick Instagram scroll. Um, he kindly produced his own highlight reel on his Instagram. So for those of you wanting to go and check that out, he's got the the court trike story, um, which shows a lot of his goals and assists. I know he was out for six months in, in 2022 um, with some form of injury, but from the clips that I saw on his Instagram, he looks really direct, offers a lot of pace and, and good in the air as well, Jamie. So maybe a bit like Duke himself, um, but it looks a very physical presence, um, which, again, offers us something different both on the European and domestic stage. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're going to come across big, strong centre-backs domestically. And if last Thursday's anything to go by, we're going to come across some big, strong centre-backs on the continent as well. And uh, for all that Bojan does offer, I don't think he is necessarily a hugely physical presence, despite maybe his height. But um, to bring somebody else in with a bit of pace and a bit of power, um, we've seen plenty of examples in the Scottish Premiership over the last few seasons where a combination of pace and power can be can be pretty effective. So um, I think that's really exciting. A guy that's decent in the air and happy to throw himself about. Um, I always worry when somebody puts together their own highlights reel, because I reckon if yeah. I put together my own highlights reel, I'd look pretty good as well. Um, yeah. But his goal scoring record looks pretty decent. 
Um, rumor has it Watford were in for him for for triple what we've paid for him um, only 12 months ago. Um, perhaps the injury is what's put some people off. But um, sir, it, you, I'm so used to looking at a potential Don striker having scored seven goals in 142 League One appearances. So to see a guy with you know decent numbers there is is quite exciting. Um, and he seems to come with a good song as well. So. That's also yeah. exciting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's that's what we need with uh, Ojo and Ramirez having gone. We need a we need a player with a good song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Habib Gay. I'm that's sure the one. Be ringing <laughs> round the terraces, and people would have been disappointed if I didn't back that up. Um, after you teed up for me, but yeah, 14 goals in 57 games at Courtrike, 25 and 55 at um Aylesons in Norway. So a decent returning um looking forward to seeing how he hits the ground running um at Aberdeen and certainly Jamie um going by what we saw on Sunday we need someone that can offer something different up top but it's not wasn't really just up top where we struggled on Sunday it was all over the pitch as the Dons backed up a 2-2 draw um in Sweden with a 2-2 draw in Paisley it was double Desmond um and it was two changes to the starting 11 um, for the game, Johnny Hayes replacing Ryan Duncan at left wing back and Angus McDonald coming in for his first start of the season, replacing Shaden Morris, which allowed Nicky Devlin to go to maybe a more natural side at, at right wing back. Were you surprised, Jamie, that we only made the, the two changes? Because we discussed on the podcast um, after the, the first leg that, you know, maybe it was too soon to ring the changes as such. Yeah, possibly. I was a little bit surprised to not see either of the J Mix in the starting lineup, McGarry mm. or, or McGrath. I thought they both impressed quite so much when they came on uh, in Sweden that I, I thought one of them um, would get the run out from the start here. But that's potentially a fitness thing, and, and it's difficult to know that. Um, sitting in your own house trying to tell Barry Robson what to do with this lineup. But yeah, a, li- a little bit surprised. Um, and had we been playing really well, I could see the logic in not wanting to um, rock the boat a bit too mm. much. But I, I don't think there's any Dons fans out there that would suggest we've been playing too well so far this season. No. So um, maybe it did need uh, shaking up a little bit more. And I think perhaps um, the way the game went kind of proved that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't exactly been setting the heather on fire away from home, um, certainly. And, you know, although I know a lot of people maybe say the last 20 minutes in, in Gothenburg last Thursday was probably our best showing away from home, but Livingston, Sterling and St Mirren have all been pretty painful viewing um, so far. And I guess, you know, for me, that first 45, obviously we, we go in at halftime 1-0 up in, I mean, the strangest and most fortuitous of, of circumstances, but... In terms of how the game played out, there was maybe a bit of an overreaction. I certainly wasn't overly surprised at St Mirren kind of coming out and trying to get at us in the the early stages, probably exploit that um, playing on the Thursday night and having to travel back. The only thing that was frustrating me was we could hardly string a pass together. Yeah, I just thought we were awful. I was getting so frustrated. Yeah, we couldn't keep the ball, which was actually reminiscent of Thursday. There was big spells in that first half on Thursday where I just you just wanted somebody to just get their foot on the ball and string together five to ten passes, and it would just calm down a little bit. Um, I've, I think there's been a lot of people super impressed with Dante Povara since he's come back in this season. I'm 
I've been sceptical. And I think I said on Twitter on Sunday during the game that I think he's a lot better than he was, but that's, mm. that wasn't an overly high threshold um, for him to yeah. surpass. And being better than uh, an American college player doesn't necessarily make you good enough um, week in, week out. And I don't, he's one of those players, and I think we've had loads of these in the past. Rob Milsom springs to mind immediately as guys that don't necessarily do anything wrong. So he doesn't mm. make an obvious mistake in the game that you can pin on him and be like, look at that, Tovaro's made a clanger. But I don't think he really, he really brings anything. He doesn't quite have the, for me, at this stage in his career, the ability to sort of start commanding a game alongside, say, Shinney and, and Clarkson. Um, Clarkson's been struggling to get into games, but I think he he clearly benefited from Ramadani last year as that sort of commanding presence in the middle of the park, which is what I'm gathering we want from Bovara, but I don't think it's it's quite working so far. Um, and I, I actually, if we had had the squad depth, I'd quite like to have seen Dante go on loan to a lower premiership team or a higher championship mm. team and just get 90 minutes every week in Scotland and just get used to the game a bit more. But yeah, I think that's kind of coming through. And um, for me, that was the problem in Hacking, uh, against Hacking, sorry, in Gothenburg. And the problem uh, on on Sunday as well, that we just, like you say, we couldn't keep the ball. We don't have much of an outlet up front, it seems at the moment, neither um, Duke or Miofsky are hugely in form, say, for 20 minutes in, in Gothenburg. And, yeah, it was frustrating. Like you say, we went in fortuitously ahead um, and and very much so should have been going in behind, in my view. Yeah, yeah exactly. Probably should have been going in behind. Kieran Bacchus having a goal disallowed, rightly, um, by VAR, one of five calls that VAR was involved in at the weekend. Nicky Devlin, I remember, I don't think he probably knew much about it at the time, an effort off the line as well but there was a lot of times in that that first half that we were really kind of backs against the wall and um i just wondered how kind of stubborn barry was going to be in terms of of changing it but i just want to go back to that point that you you made about dante povar and it's a really interesting point um kind of about how we maybe view him in terms of a ramadani replacement and i i think you know kind of the point that you made about what he offers is he, he's decent but maybe not elevating on to that that next stage is, is a very fair summary and kind of maybe how the other players around him are struggling because Leighton Clarkson was a player on Sunday that I picked up as struggling in, in recent weeks. Um, I don't know if he's maybe not sure what he's supposed to be doing in this team, but I thought on Thursday and again on Sunday, once Jamie McGrath kind of came on, he looked a lot more lively, a bit more imposed. So I don't know if the likes of both Graham Shinney and Leighton are having to do a bit of extra work for Dante when previous seasons, well, last season anyway, under when we had Yilber in the team, they knew that he was comfortable doing that, that dirty side. Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment. I think I think Ramadani had his doubters, and that always really surprised me. I didn't really understand why. Um, and it's maybe one of those careful what you wish for for the people that did doubt him now that he's yeah. gone or you don't know what you've got till it's gone, whichever cliche you want to use. But um, I think we're really noticing the the size of presence that he had in in that team because we do really seem to be missing him in the middle of the park. And um, like I say, Dante, he doesn't make mistakes, but he doesn't take us, um, he doesn't elevate us, he doesn't take us to another level. And, and maybe Clarkson and, and Shinny 
don't like you say don't trust them quite yeah. enough and are maybe um setting back a bit more or maybe Clarkson's not taking the the risky sort of 60% chance pass that he might have done yeah. last season because he's thinking about the the transition um because Dante seems to be in games you know he's around mm-hmm. he's getting the ball he's involved but um yeah I think I was trying to think of a good comparison for him and, and for whatever reason, Rob Milson was the one that stuck out in my mind. It's just a guy that like sort of flattered to deceive a little bit. Mm. Never really, I don't remember Rob Milson ever doing anything wrong. Just also never really did anything particularly interesting either. Um, yeah. And, and um, yeah, I think I think we're really seeing the difference from losing a Ramadani. And, and I don't think we've got a replacement. I don't think McGrath's going to do what Ramadani did, even though he's, he's maybe a better all-round footballer than, than mm-hmm. Povara is. Um, and we don't really seem to be in the market for a Ramadani replacement, or certainly not as far as I can see. No, and that's maybe one of the, the bits of transfer business that the club is kind of keeping quiet just now. Obviously, the 12th summer signing arrived could... 13 be lucky or unlucky for us and I guess I'm kind of interested to to kind of see what we get from a, a Ramadani replacement as such and I guess we kind of need that person in midfield to really come in and do the dirty work that the Ramadani did I can going back to the point on Dante is he does the bare minimum in that but he's not kind of elevating us forward but I think what we saw on Thursday from him, we did see him in a more progressive area, but I'm yet to kind of see him do the the down and dirty defensive side of things that that Yilber wasn't afraid to do and maybe rough a few people up and kind of cause that kind of issue in midfield. Yeah, and I, I'm more than happy for Dante to remain in the team and be a, a substitute for Leighton Clark, yeah. and say, with 15 minutes to go uh, and to come on. And, you know, he's a big lad. Yeah, put him in, a, in that attacking position when we're ahead um, and just ask him to sort of run around and keep the ball and um, keep things ticking over. And that's great. And he'll, I think what we, what would be positive for Dante is we've seen how much he's progressed in the last 12 months. You know, the guy was was miles off of it 12 months ago. And I think most people mm. thought he, he didn't have a career with Aberdeen. I yeah. think what we're seeing now is that he probably he quite possibly does have a career with Aberdeen. He just needs to keep developing. And if he keeps developing at the rate that he has over the last 12 months, then you know by this time next season, we could have a world beater on our hands. And that's, <laughs> yeah. and that's really exciting. But I just don't think he's the answer. And he's playing in such an important position mm-hmm. in the team. And... and in Barry's formation as well with a sort of 5-3-2 that he he seems pretty wedded to at the moment. It it yeah. makes the wing backs really important for creativity, but then that means that the person playing Dante's role is super important for protecting the back three. Um yeah. particularly when we're not hugely great uh graced with pace uh that was hard yeah. to say <laughs> in the back yeah. three. You know, McDonald for his positives is by no means uh, quick. I haven't seen anything from uh, Ruby to suggest that that he's got a turn of pace, and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jensen will wait. will wait and see. Um, yeah. So it, I think it does make him really important. And yeah, I hope that I hope that's a case of the club keeping their cards close to their chest, and and that they've got somebody in mind because you look around the rest of the pitch and you wonder why we're playing so badly. Um, Mm. uh, There's been a lot of complaints about our defence, but actually in a lot of games, the defence has done done pretty 
<laughs> done pretty well. Defence hasn't done brilliantly, but it's not like we're conceding loads of goals by no, defence. Silly defensive mistakes, Nicky Devlin against Celtic aside. Um, mm. You know, it's it's not the calamitous mistakes we had this time last year. Far from it. And yeah. and we've got we've got Shinny, we've got Clarkson, we've got Duke, we've got Miofsky. So you're like, where? What? What? Where's it going wrong? Why is it? Not, yeah. Why is it all not all being stitched together? Um, and I think it is in that in that Bolvara role. And I just. Guys like him are few and far, Ramadanis that is, are generally few and far between. So I just, I, I hope that we haven't been caught napping with him being sold um, and that, you know, with the few weeks that we've got left, that there's somebody that can that can come in. I don't know, is Ross Topley still on the go? We were linked with him for about five years. So <laughs> he might I think come he's in busy. Uh, I, I think he's busy uh, assaulting people in the Highland League on a, a, a weekly basis just now. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Um, but a, a point you made there is a point that Callum messaged me at, at full time on Sunday, so it feels worthwhile bringing up. Um, kind of about the formation, you know, with the back five and uh, and three in the middle. Callum kind of wonders, and I wonder if you think the same. If the back five is slightly hindering us at, at time, and if Barry needs to be almost reluctant to, or willing, I should maybe say, to to change that back five to a back four in certain situations, because if teams are kind of maybe camped in against us or looking to exploit weaknesses in our side, we don't seem to be willing to to change our formation to to counter what teams are doing to us at this moment in time. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think the back five was born out of uh, not born out of diversity, <laughs> born out of um, adversity last season where mm. we we needed just to shut up shop. You know, we conceded yeah. um, 11 goals in Edinburgh uh, in, in seven days. So you know, we absolutely needed to do something about it in the back five worked and allowed a couple of players to you know be better versions of themselves in in that back five as well um but so far this season i do agree that it seems to be hampering us a bit i think there's a disconnect between the midfield and duke and miofsky which we're struggling with i think there's a lot of comments on sunday that what's the point in having leighton clarkson if the ball gets pumped over the top of him for most of the game and i think that's born out of the back five the only rebuttal I would have is that we haven't seen McGarry and Devlin play in those wing-back roles together for a prolonged period yet. Mm-hmm. I think we're already getting signs of Devlin being a much better player at right wing-back than he is at right centre-back, which is fantastic. And then McGarry for 20 minutes against BK Hacken looked absolutely phenomenal. And mm-hmm. so perhaps we'll get more creativity from those two if they're playing together in a back five. Um, and that'll help solve some of our issues and that they can, you know, they can play with Clarkson a bit further up the field. They both, on the face of it, appear to have the physicality to get up and down um, for the vast majority of the game as well. So the only reason I would be, I would be fine with Barry sticking it out for another sort of month or so is to give those two a run in that position and to see mm. what difference that makes and um, putting in decent crosses and stuff as well um, but I do I do agree that we seem particularly wedded to it and we are meant to be the sort of top three four teams in the country which means the vast majority of games we play in the onus is going to be on us to be more creative and be more on the front foot and, and generally a back five doesn't uh, lend itself particularly well to be being the the dominant team within the game. So mm-hmm. it'd be nice. Sunday probably wasn't necessarily the right time for it, but it would be nice, perhaps even against Hibs this weekend, that 
if he just showed a little bit of willingness at the moment until the team is fully settled to try a back four um, mm-hmm. and see how we get on. I guess part of the issue now as well is we, we've got about nine centre-backs, so try to get <laughs> them all into the team if there's only two playing could, could cause some issues. But um, I think we've seen from him last season, Robson seemed to be a manager that was happy to change things. And quite a lot mm-hmm. of his early interviews when he took the role was... Uh, or we seen it wasn't quite working, so we move Clarks into this position, and we move Ramadani further forward, or you know we change something in the back, and it seemed to unlock the door for us. And and this season he seems, you know, super reluctant to make substitutions. He's you know mm. before Gothenburg he hardly had made any, um, and and reluctant to change the system. Not entirely sure why that is, and and hopefully it's a case of it being early in the season because I think in Scotland in particular where games tend to follow a bit of a formula that if you're able to chuck something in there and, and change it up a bit, that can unlock a door for the last 20 minutes and, and make yeah. a big difference. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you, you bring something that, that maybe people aren't expecting you to bring and, and throw that little curveball and it, it gives the, the defenders of the opposition something else to think about or likewise the manager in the dugout something else to think about as well that, that they maybe weren't expecting from us. Um, but, you know, speaking about the, the back five and, you know, maybe lending itself for an Aberdeen team that should be on the front foot. So that was certainly something that wasn't the case um, pretty much for the entire 90 minutes uh, on Sunday. And, you know, as I said, you know, went 1-0 up at, at half time. But the second half, we didn't like even seem to start to kind of assert any sort of domination. We were pretty much on the back foot straight away in the second half. Um, St Mirren equalised through Greg Kilty, but again VAR getting involved. There was a couple of incidences in the build-up to the goal. There was a, a foul, maybe those listening would think that deserves to be an in inverted commas on, on Jack McKenzie, but uh, an offside call on Olusana, I think I probably murdered his pronunciation there, um, was was brought back for that. Um, I was a bit disappointed in the, the goalkeeping for, for the goal as well, because I think the initial shot from Keanu Bacchus was pretty poorly spilled from Kel for, for Greg Hilty to um, tap home. But a reprieve for both Kel and the Dons at, at that stage, but a warning shot that we kind of didn't really listen to. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I actually wrote in my notes before jumping on that I was slightly concerned about Kel on two occasions. The, yeah. the disallowed goal there was a really uncharacteristic spill. Um, I, 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 there isn't an angle that really explains how he's done it. You know, has no. he, is it one of them where he's like need it out of his own hands or something that you occasionally see? I just I can't really work it out. Um, I thought he was really poor for St. Mirren's second goal as well. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes goalies get beat at the near post and we can slightly overplay this never get beat at your near post thing. Somebody, I think we've all seen, probably seen Ryan Hedges go for, for Blackburn over the weekend and that's near yeah, post. And there's nothing the goalie can do about that. that that's just is what it is. But the second goal with Kel Roos that it's taken from so far out that I really, really don't want a goalie getting beat at his near post from that kind of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the striker made it look really simple. So yeah, a couple of couple of warning signs hopefully it's just a, a, a sort of one-off from a minute in a game where it's quite clear the whole team were a little bit either hung over or distracted or or both um mm. but yeah we didn't we didn't take the warning at all i was so surprised that barry um hadn't you know sort of put a rocket up there are so to speak for coming out to yeah. the second half and that we we've seen a very different performance we just seem to come out and 
be exactly the same. It was almost as if it was almost as if Barry hadn't actually watched the game. Um, and it was on, you know, he was playing football manager and he, he'd skipped to half time and it said his team were one nil up and he thought, brilliant, I'll just keep doing the thing we were doing and it must be working. Um, and, and nobody was there to say, you know, Barry, this has gone really badly. And actually the goal was a shambles that we scored. And if you were mm-hmm. seeing Berlin fan, you'd be um, furious with it. So, yeah, really disappointed. We didn't create anything. We couldn't get our foot on the ball. St. Mirren just continued to absolutely batter us in a way that, I would only ever expect us to be dominated by an old firm team like that. Mm. Um, you know, for us to to be consistently battered in that way in Paisley is it was was pretty disappointing. Um, I have to say, um, and I, and we just didn't seem to at any point in the game cha- change our mentality. I didn't think. No, and I agree on that. And not only disappointing was was mildly concerning ahead of obviously such a huge second leg coming up this this Thursday as well. And a couple of things, obviously, you mentioned there the, the way the, the domination that St Mirren kind of applied to ourselves, and it, I thought kind of the same. The way the game took a um, a pattern was almost like us against one of Celtic Rangers, but we were the the Celtic Rangers in this scenario. You know, in terms of. I think probably, you know, the game that kind of haunts us all was Rangers last season when we dominated for large periods and, and came away from the game with nothing. St Mirren, albeit did come away with a point on Sunday, will almost feel like a defeat in terms of the manner of the way the game ended. But also on, on Kel uh, as well, you know, maybe getting those mistakes out of the way ahead of Thursday. I, I totally agree on this, the second goal as well hugely concerned about about the concession of that and again going back to that point about you know you can overplay keepers conceding at the near post it didn't even beat him it, it goes through him it, you know yeah. he gets kind of a hand to it so again I don't know if it was positioning he does of course make a really good one-on-one save as well at one nil so we saw the good and the bad of Kel um on sun on Sunday and I know a lot of people had a lot of criticism around his distribution at times last season, but that was kind of the first time I was a bit concerned at his general goalkeeping ability because, of course, he came up big at the end of last season, penalty save at home to Hibbs, crucial saves away at St Johnston, but yeah, uncharacteristic. And I just wonder on Kel how much that kind of uncertainty around the back three maybe plays a part. Obviously, Joel Lewis was heavily criticized at terms last season when our defence was all over the place just how maybe difficult it is for Kel with that back three continuously changing uh, and how much trust is there between him and the back three and likewise the back three and him at, at this moment in time Yeah it's difficult to to tell isn't it and uh, the, Kel had a few criticism, uh, critics last season uh, as well at times uh, but like you say it was never for sort of the basic shot stopping elements mm-hmm. that um, he's generally been pretty pretty good at. I, th- I think you're absolutely spot on. A bit of consistency in the back five um, is only going to make things better for Kel. Uh, I think McDonald being back in is probably a good thing. It's somebody he knows from last season yeah. as well um, that, that he had a decent relationship with already. Uh, and goalkeepers always need a bit of certainty in front of them. They need to know what's going on, um, mm-hmm. who's covering, who can track, etc. You know, Joe Lewis and his, and his pomp he always knew he had Shea Logan who would who would get back and could 
could make those last-ditch interceptions. So he never had to be a goalie that was super quick off his line. Um, yeah. He he knew what his centre-backs were likely to do. He knew that Andy Considine would get beat down the left side every yeah. time there was an opportunity, so he needed to be slightly more aware of what was going on over there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Like, all, all goalkeepers have these days. I think we to make reference down to England, we've already seen Alisson at Liverpool have an absolute nightmare against Bournemouth this season. Mm. Uh, and this week he's been touted as the greatest goalkeeper in Premier yeah. League history. So, you know, uh, it's it's one of those positions where you are genuinely only as good as your last game. Uh, yeah. and, and people people are very quick to forget when it comes to goalkeepers. So the fact that he got away with the first one um, and and, it, and the goal was chopped off and then has in a way got away with the second one because we've managed to get a point out of it, which which we didn't deserve anyway, no. um, it, it, it's fine. And, you know, he was good against Hacking on Thursday. Neither of the goals were his fault um, and he was commanding when he needed to be. So I think he was just a more obvious example of the fact that everybody's minds were... Uh, we're on a different game. Yeah, everybody mm. was quite clearly thinking about Thursday, whether they didn't want to get injured, whether they didn't want to overexert themselves, whether they were simply just distracted and thinking, oh, I wonder what we're going to do. You know, how are we going to play on Thursday? How's this going to work on Thursday? I think, mm. I think that was clear throughout the team. But you're, when your goalie's the one that's thinking like that, it's just going to be a little bit more obvious when things go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't, I, I know someone um, pointed out on, on social media that I was maybe singling out Kel, but it definitely wasn't. It was just that, as you say, kind of that when those errors are made from your goalkeeper, they become a bit more obvious. And I think goalkeepers, especially as a, a prime position of people only ever remember your, your last game or your last performance. Um, I want to just quickly touch on, on the defence before we come to the, the penalties um, from Sunday. A lot of people, again, making comment on Ruby's performance. Um, again, he as well, probably another player that didn't cover himself in glory around the second goal in terms of tracking the run of, of Alex Grieve. Any concerns for you um, around Ruby's performance? No. Obviously, Richard Jensen made his debut, but I think for me, on, on terms of Jensen, pretty much hard to judge given how poor we were in general. Yeah, Ruby concern, not not massively, uh, mm-hmm. and I will caveat that by saying, uh, and and so people might take my opinion with a pinch of salt that uh, I I sort of stuck by Anthony Stewart a little bit too long last season, so um, I'll, I could admit to that now. But Ruby, not not concerned per se. I think a few things that stand out to me is. When a player comes in in his first interview, he says, I'm really aggressive and I like to dive into tackles and stuff like that. You know that managers, players, refereeing fraternity, all are going to hear that as well. And you're just like, why would you say something so silly? You know, a bit Mm. like Anthony Stewart saying that he didn't think Morelos was very good last season. And you're like, come on, you know, just don't say don't say such silly things and to be fair we're seeing that in his performance as he wasn't lying he's an aggressive player and mm-hmm. that is going to lead to cautions and we've seen that on um thursday that he gets an early caution and it and it hampers his game a little bit but i think generally he seems to be reading things okay he's pretty solid in the air He's maybe not the best at his feet, but he's certainly not as bad as Stuart was last season. Mm. And he probably is suffering a little bit from the same issues that we've just discussed with Kel yeah. Roos, where he needs a solid back five. He needs to know that 
He's got outlets such as McDonald, Nicky Devlin, McGarry, who are good on the ball. Uh, he needs somebody in front of him that's maybe not Dante Povara that he can play, who can turn and sort of string things together. Um, and it's just whether whether it's Jensen that comes in. Um, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but a lot of Aberdeen fans forgetting that Reese Williams um, is still at the club and he is a player that came with a bit of fanfare and that we were really excited about. So mm-hmm. he's maybe not quite up to fitness yet, but he's going to be challenging those those guys at the back. Um, and you know, Jensen's a full Finnish international, a, a current one as well, you know, yeah. not like one of these guys like Christian Ramirez that we tout as an international, but he got a couple of token caps, you know, three, four years ago. This this guy's first choice yeah. centre-back for Finland at the moment. Um, so I think the expectation would be that he's going to come in and start and he's going to be, and he's going to be good from the off. So um, I think, I think here's a guy that's come to a new league, a new country. Um, he's learning his teammates. He's learning the differences in the game. Um, and so far, I think he must have played in a different back five every game. I, I, I don't have that. I don't have that yeah. to hand, but I no. wouldn't be surprised I, if it was. I, I guess for for Ruby's, you know, potent, the potential of any an easy scapegoat in that back five, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll say I'm maybe guilty of that myself. But interesting, you mentioned Williams. Obviously, we've kind of not really discussed what each other's notes, but I had Williams down there, and I think someone asked us that on social media on Sunday as well, was where does Reese Williams fit into this back five if everybody is fit? Does he even start ahead of a Ruby, a Jack McKenzie? But I think I kind of agree with you there with the fact that Richard Jensen's a full Finnish international and, and a current one at that as well, as you rightly say, is you'd like to think that he's going to be the starting left centre-back. Um, of that and of course Jimmy McGarry will be hoping to, to nail down the, the left wing back role as well so kind of really interesting to see what develops over the, the course of the, the coming weeks um, around us defensively but let's move on to the two kind of con- controversial incidents in the game on Sunday the, the, the two penalties um, any complaints for you around the, the penalty that we conceded Angus McDonald uh, handball nah, not, not particularly not from the the pictures we've seen. Um, I, I, when I first seen it, I thought it hit his falling arm, uh, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, that's harsh," because yeah, that, that that's his arm going to the ground. Um, and I think people are pretty familiar now that, generally speaking, if it hits the arm that's going to prop up the body as you as you hit the deck, you'll you'll get away with them. I think the fact that it hits his other arm always means that there's a risk that it can be given. Um, and maybe slightly, my, my opinion on it is maybe slightly warped by the fact that we got away with quite so much on Sunday yeah. that I feel that's a little bit cheeky to complain about the one decision that did go St Mirren's way. Um, so uh, look, it, it for me, it's within like, I, I use this phrase, like a range of reasonable outcomes. And I think mm. it's on that cusp where if it's not given, that's probably reasonable. And the fact that it is given for me is reasonable. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it. McDonald didn't protest hugely um, vigorously after it was given as well. Mm. I think he sort of, you can often tell by a player's reaction that he's gone up. Publics, that's hit my arm. <laughs> yeah, I think he had a, a slight part of his chest um, to, to try and con John Beaton, but yeah. John Beaton's never going to be too much unconvinced when he's awarding a penalty against Aberdeen. He didn't um, <laughs> lift his top off as much as Alex Gogic did, when of course Alex Gogic did something similar uh, up the other end of the pitch, blocking a uh, Leighton Clarkson shot. 
I thought for, you know, the one that we conceded, I personally thought was a bit soft. And, you know, I was listening to St. Minnan TV commentary and I'm not sure who their co-commentator was. I think he was a current player, um, but he's kind of felt it was a bit soft because it's probably one of those that where else can that arm go in the sliding motion? Uh, and I, yeah. I suppose they would argue the same for, for, for Alex Gogic, but at, at least for once in, in Scottish football refereeing, we saw a bit of consistency applied, uh, albeit um, John Beaton had to wait for VAR to get involved um, to, to give us the penalty. But the biggest controversy was the penalty itself. Um, Bojan Milovsky slots at home, but a lot of talk on social media about a, a double touch Um you seen anything conclusive, Jamie? If anybody can show me a picture of this touching a standing foot, I will hold my hands up. But yeah. I have watched every single clip that a St. Midden fan has posted of either the normal angles or slowed down or screenshots and zoom ins. And I, I can't, I genuinely can't see it. And I'm not, I'm. Uh, I don't know of any of the so a couple of the listeners that, that follow me on Twitter might know I'm a current active football referee so mm. I, I'm generally um, pretty uh, middle of the road on these things which might explain my previous view on the penalty uh, I tend not to get too exercised either way um, and had it hit a standing foot and fine you know I would I would sit here and say yeah, fair enough we got away with one um, or it should have been disallowed I just can't, I just can't tell for me it looks like he kicks the ground and that explains mm. the sort of weirdness of his foot and where the ball goes um, and and in terms of VAR getting involved uh, Michael Stewart was getting and, and uh, Tomo on the radio was getting pretty wound up as well I heard and VAR, it, we've heard the phrase a million times, it has to be a clear and obvious error. And if, yeah. if you know, thousands of people can put clips on Twitter and you still can't see it, I don't understand what anybody wants VAR to do. It would have been, that would have been a travesty for them to get involved, um, for them to get involved in. So it, look, if it's hit both his feet, then we've got away with one, but not, I think, through any fault of any of the refereeing um, staff that were involved in that game. No. Because you, you just can't tell. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing is it has to be clear and obvious. And I don't think, and I, I think this is, you know, potentially where Scottish football lets itself down in VAR, but obviously for us it's benefited us, is the picture quality that we get compared to English football VAR decisions is is really terrible. It's very pixelated photos and the still images are, are really poor compared to what you see in the, in the, in the Premiership. But there is nothing that I've seen to offer conclusive evidence that it was a double hit. I was speaking to um, a Highland League official last night um, who believed it was a double hit and should have been retaken. But, you know, you were mentioning Michael Stewart and uh, and Stephen Thompson, and even listening to Lee McCulloch on, on sports scene, took him 25 minutes, he admitted, to decide that it was a double kick. Therefore, the, the, the goal shouldn't have stood. Now, you're telling me that if we want to get these decisions right, we've got to wait 25 minutes. I think that in itself tells you that there was nothing obvious about that decision to, to overturn um, that from, from being a goal. And if we've got away with one brilliant, it's a point more than we, we've picked up in previous seasons at, at St Mirren as well. Um, so we take it. It's not obviously the three points many would have hoped for, but we, we move on to Thursday night. Yeah, and just to clarify there as well, it wouldn't, it's not even that it would have been retaken, it would have been a 
indirectly yes, kicked at Mirren. Yeah, so it would have been you know game over at that point. Um, but I, I agree, twenty five minutes is bonkers. Christ, there's there's people suggesting on Twitter that there should be a some kind of countdown thirty second clock behind the VAR, and if it ticks out, then they're not allowed to make a decision anymore. Mm. Um, which talk about putting additional <laughs> unnecessary pressure on a VAR um, <laughs> is he knows he's only got thirty seconds to try and work something out, as you say on our pretty poor. Um, cameras and um, mm. I think this is a great example of of where improving the VAR technology might be might be worthwhile because yeah. that is a it is a game-changing decision at the end of the day and um if that went against us and it was wrong we'd be we'd be pretty perturbed as well so yeah exactly. um it, it is it is really disappointing that the best angle that we can get on that is looks like it was shot on a sort of 1.3 megapixel camera from somebody's mm -hmm. phone in the front row um but yeah we you know we get away with one we get away with one anyway whether that's a double touch or not like we've quite clearly got away with one uh, on sunday and we've come away with a point and um I, I said this to a couple of friends of mine that actually against these three games last season we're two points better off than we were they just happened to have come yeah. in a row at the start of a season so it looks like we've taken two from nine which is a poor start but we're we've taken two extra than we did last year and for me this year i think um we'll see what happens with hibs and, and their new manager and um, hearts do by no means look particularly exciting this year and, mm -hmm. and i think we'd be surprised if saint Mirren keep up this level of form and so the most important thing for me is we don't lose our away games, say for the old mm -hmm. firm, you know, we pick up a point and if we get an occasional win, great, and we make sure we win all our home games. And if we do that, yeah. we'll finish third. You know, that's that we will yeah. finish third if we do that. And so getting a point at Livingston and a point at St. Mirren, I'm I'm perfectly content with that, to be honest. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly given the the start to the season and obviously the kind of injuries to the defence we had at, at Livingston as well, and obviously the, the Thursday night game ahead of the um the game just there at some minute and obviously as well um hearts losing to dundee at the weekend continues that any scottish team playing on thursday night so far this season has failed to win um their follow-up game on sunday so you know european exploits are going to take out of teams but we'll look ahead to, to thursday night quickly because i know we're both on our, our lunch hour doing this and, and time's maybe getting away from us slightly but as much as we might have been distracted by the upcoming game on thir Thursday, Jamie against the Mirren, hacking maybe just as bad and maybe hurting even more coming to Pataudry on Thursday because not only did they chuck away a two-goal lead against us in the first leg, they followed that up with a maybe rather humiliating defeat in the derby, found themselves 4-0 down uh, after an hour, um, did come back to um, with a couple of late goals to, to finish 4-2, but... Uh, I'm sure a defeat that they won't have enjoyed and will be coming to Pataudry with a, with a point to prove. What's your level of confidence, level of excitement ahead of the game on Thursday? Uh, very excited. My level of, of excitement is, is palpable. It's through the roof. Uh, my level of confidence, I would put it at 51-49 uh, in terms of whether <laughs> I think we're going to win or not. I'm ever so slightly in the win category just now but it is only tuesday and i know fine well come thursday that'll be 95 five until about 10 minutes before kickoff when it flips and then i'm suddenly terrified that we're going to get thumped um i i see nothing last week that worries me um the the game 
And this overall tie reminds me of when we played Groningen, sort of in mm. our early McInnes days, where I think we've come up against the side who are genuinely our level in, in the sort of in the round. I think that if they were in the Premiership, they would be challenging with us in hearts um, for, for that third place. That's the sort of quality of team I generally put them at. That might be because they've lost um, sort of their striking and stuff from the team that won the league last season. I'm not by any means suggesting that the, the top of the Swedish league necessarily means that you, you finish third and fourth in Scotland. But I just think from what I've seen yeah. from Hacken, they're an Aberdeen level team, which means as with hearts and hips, season in, season out, we win some, we lose some. And you, and you need to show up on the day and you need to perform well if you're going to come out of that tie. So, you know, Thursday, even when we were 2-0 down, I was disappointed because I was thinking yeah. this team aren't aren't this much better than us. And we've been in this game. Um, and so the comeback was obviously fantastic. Uh, I thought they looked better going forward than we currently do. But I also think they looked worse at the back than we currently do, uh, which perhaps is why it finished 2-2. Um, yeah. and, and I could see a similar story uh, this Thursday um, I'm not going to confess to be an expert and suggest how much of a difference the big centre-back having been sent off is going to make. Um, certainly, um, he he couldn't have had a great game at the weekend, <laughs> given how many yeah. goals they conceded there. So, But we don't know who they've got to come in, in place. He did look reasonably imposing uh, last Thursday, and so they'll obviously be uh, without that. Um, and, in, and he is their starter. So you suspect the defence, at least to a certain degree, will be poorer again this week and hopefully it's given Bojan and Duke a bit of confidence getting that comeback and that look this is a team that we can get at actually um, and we know that now and we know that we can run at players and we know that we can cause cautions in the game that's going to make them have to think twice um, I just worry that they did look really good going forward um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't take you know, it wouldn't take much, I imagine, for that team to put two or three past somebody if they were if they were on it. Um, yeah. And so, it, it, my instinct is it's going to be a game not where we keep a clean sheet and win it by an odd goal or yeah. anything like that. It's going to be a game where we need to outscore them. Um, and I just hope that our attacking and, and uh, creative players are are performing better on Thursday than they than they did on Sunday. Yeah, um, I was just making some kind of notes as you were giving your your insight there um, to some of the, the points you've made. And I think uh, the, the confidence, I like that 95-5 um, up until about 10 minutes to kick off. I think that's how a lot of us will be feeling. I was speaking to my friend Keith last night, um, asking how he felt. He actually thinks that the tie could go all the way to penalties. And I, I don't know if many people inside Pataudra have any nails left if it, if it goes the distance. But, <laughs> you, you know, third, Thursday night is... You know, undoubtedly, our best chance of getting Europa League group stages in in all the recent seasons. And I, you know, I personally would be really disappointed if we didn't get through this tie. Um, I, I totally agree. I, I think they are a, a side of our level, a beatable side at our level. Um, I kind of feel this is kind of like a game like Limassol, where I, I feel we should have beaten Limassol um, those seasons back, and I'm still disappointed we didn't do that. Um, of course, we've not actually been ahead in the in the tie as well. So if we do take the lead on on Thursday night, it would be the first time we're ahead in the tie. But you know, you mentioned about them being worse at the back. Um, you look at the last three games; they've scored seven goals, conceded eight, 
So, um, you know, both, you know, going on that point about worse at the back, but also good going forward, showing good examples of both there. And, you know, they went full strength on Sunday as well in the Derby game. I wonder how much they did have one eye on this coming Thursday. But when you mentioned going forward, I suppose an interesting note is um, Ibrahim Sadiq, the, the winger, of course, who scored the second goal in the first leg. It has been rumoured that a £4 million fee has been agreed with AZ Alkmaar and he was completing medical today on Tuesday with the Dutch side. But the um, Hicken manager has come out to say that he will be involved and will play on Thursday night despite the fee and medical being done. Do you wonder if that's a bit of mind games? Because to me, that seems crazy to risk a £4 million move for, for a winger. And if you're the likes of Graham Shinney or maybe Ruby, you think, well, I'll stick out, stick one on your early doors and see how much you like it. Yeah, and see how much you're up for it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know. It just strikes me as a bit bizarre, to be honest. You know, mm. uh, if uh, I, I know it turns out, it, it sounds like the rumours aren't true that Bojan to Southampton might have happened at four million. But certainly, if the news broke today that a four million pound fee had been agreed and he passed his medical, I, I wouldn't want him to play on Thursday. Well, maybe if it was more than four, because I think I think he's worth more than that. But yeah. you, you know, say it was ten million pound, I'd be like, no, get him off the pitch. You don't want him anywhere near the game yeah. on Thursday yeah. if, if we're selling him for ten million quid. So yeah, slightly odd. Um, well, just to show your hand as well, in a way, like so, it's, so it probably is mind games because surely you know that, surely you would assume that we think he's not going to play because you're selling him, and so yeah. if he can play, that would be almost like an ace card. An hour before kickoff, bam, our best player is actually playing in this game, and you've probably mm. prepared all week for him not to be in the team. Um, so. Yeah, it is a strange one, which now then I think is perhaps what you're alluding to as well, leads me to think that he's not going to play because he's come out and yeah. said he's going to play and that will be the ace card. that will be like, haha, you've prepared for one guy and actually we're, you know, we're playing somebody that's just not as good. wonder how you're going to cope with that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's bizarre, but he, he was clearly their best player on yeah. last Thursday. He terrorised us a couple of times and poor Jack McKenzie had a hard time um, in the box on a few occasions and so if he does play that's going to be a difficult one for us to manage um, and it's going to be it's going to be good for them. It's obviously going to make them more positive. So, yeah, I think you're probably like, probably is a bit of mind games here, um, but he is their best player. So if he plays, then then he's going to have an influence. I just hope that that perhaps we didn't start McGarry and McGrath on Sunday because they're maybe not fully, fully fit and we were saving them for this Thursday. I really hope that's the case because yeah. I know it was only 20 minutes and I know that they were a bit tired, but they both absolutely terrorised them when they came on. And having been terrorised by them and then having been terrorised by your rivals on Sunday, you would have thought if they start again on Thursday, the hacking players are going to be immediately concerned um, going into that game. Yeah, and just uh, and that's kind of the interesting point. I guess also we'll see uh, around Sadiq on on Wednesday when the squad arrive at Aberdeen Airport. Um, if he's made the journey across, again, kind of showing their hand early. But I wonder if MCG squared will feature from the start. McGarry in at left back for um, Hayes, of course. Ryan Duncan didn't start, and if uh, J Jamie McGraw will come in for Dante Povara. For me, I would really like to see McGraw start this game. Um, I know he's a different 
sort of player to um to Dante Polvara, but just kind of that quality that he showed in that 20 minute flash in, in Gothenburg, I think caused them a lot of problems as well. It, I think that would be probably the only two changes I would be looking to make. Um, or would you want to see Richard Jensen coming in for Jack McKenzie? Or would you be happy to just have those two changes that I've mentioned? Yeah, I, I think I'd be content with those. I'd, I'd be happy to sort of completely bow to Robson's judgment in terms of Jensen and just take whatever decision he made as, as being the one that, that was going to be the best one. I'm not a massive Jack McKenzie hater, as I know a lot of people are. I think he I think he, he tries his best and he does he, he he generally performs well enough. And I think he suffers a little bit from the criticism that a lot of Aberdeen youth players um, have got over the last sort of 10 to 15 years. Um, so I wouldn't be devastated if he started. And I think with McGarry alongside him um, and McDonald most likely coming into the side as well, that he um, would have a little bit of stability around him. So yeah, I, I, I bow to Robson on that. If Jensen starts, great. If he doesn't start, yeah. fine. I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep. I, I, the MCG squared brilliant uh, way of describing them. I'm definitely going to be stealing that from now on. Um, they're the big two for me. I, they, they, To me, I feel like they have to start. And that's where if Robson doesn't start them, I'd be expecting some kind of pretty good explanation as to why. Mm. Um, because we discussed, obviously, at the beginning of the pod that Dante um, maybe doesn't elevate us and it looked like McGrath does. And, and in this mm. kind of game where it's going to be a sort of you score four, we score five, quite possibly, yeah. having him and Clarkson together, yeah. being able to play with each other and then play with McGarry and Devlin and get the strikers involved, I think can be really, really important. Uh, and he just he just offers a, a threat. And I, I think we, we reminded ourselves on Thursday how card-happy um, European referees can be that we're perhaps not used to um, domestically. It's just a, a different style that they obviously have. Mm. And players like uh, having a player like uh, McGrath and McGarry on is almost certainly going to lead to yellow cards. I'd be stunned if they didn't both lead to somebody getting booked in the game. Um, whereas Dante doesn't, he's not somebody that's going to drive past people uh, and, and create any issues in that respect. So, um, no, I think those two definitely. Any others, um, I'd be happy to wait and see. Yeah, uh, I think I, I agree there. Yeah, and that MCG squared just kind of came to me when I was writing down their, their two <laughs> names. So I'm not going to claim that it's been some sort of mad um, idea. But yeah, I think McGrath as well adds that bit of creativity. You're absolutely right. Along with Leighton Clarkson. Duke, I think a lot of people are forgetting that the Terry kind of caused that, that Haken defence in the first 45 um, over in Gothenburg as well. Even though he's not scoring, he is a distraction and he is a threat that will take the defenders' minds elsewhere and the likes off of Bojan Mioski. But um, I think I'm maybe more 60-40 in terms of my, my confidence at, at this present um, moment in time and more so that more I speak about the game and I'm sure when we, we hear more previews of the games and hear Barry Robson speaking in his press conference tomorrow as well. But Jamie... Really, I, I really appreciate you coming on to, to Red Tinted Glasses today at, at such short notices. Really, really enjoyable um, chatting to you and really good insight as well. Um, some people um, tuning in might have heard of your, your podcast, the Late Kickoff podcast, but for those that haven't, um, please tell us a bit about it and where they can find it. 
No, thank you very much. First of all, also, um, thank you very much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And any chance to chat about the Dons for an hour uh, is a welcome one. So delighted. Yeah, the uh, our podcast, it's the Late Kickoff Football Podcast. It's um, English Premier League focused uh, with a splashing of Aberdeen news at the end because I can never resist. Uh, and uh, also Dunfermline Athletic, which is an interesting combination. But uh, my co-hosts are both Dunfermline Athletic fans. So you, you get the Pars news in there. As well, we record weekly um, and we generally release the show sort of uh, Wednesday to Friday, depending on uh, what's happening in England that week uh, dictates when we record. But yeah, Spotify, Apple Music, all the regular podcast places. Uh, and we were delighted to find out today that we are the number one football podcast in Guyana. So that is fantastic. So any yeah. if anybody is listening to this also from Guyana, check mm -hmm. us out because we seem to be popular. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I love little cool facts when you get the charitable update and find what random country in the world you're you're sitting in. Um, I love that. But um, definitely make sure you check out the podcast as well. Um, if you have been watching this video on YouTube, remember to hit the like button, hit subscribe if you're new to the channel, um, get that notifications on because regardless of what happens, win or lose on Thursday night, I will be doing a live watch of the group stage draw, reacting live to who we face from both pot one, two and three, and then previewing the game on Sunday against Hibernian with Michael Monin. But Jamie, once again, really appreciate your time on the podcast and we'll see most of you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in.